0: God. It helps you understand, uh, really, the the main things from my life that it has pointed out for me is why God created the earth, why he put man on the earth, why man is here to begin with, and why Jesus came. Those are the three main things uh, for me that I see completely different now. Uh, Why I'm here, why I'm on this earth, uh, why God extended a territory from heaven to the earth, and then... Uh, why Jesus came back. His whole purpose for coming to the earth was to reign as a king, to restore a kingdom, and to place man back in that position of ruling and reigning on the earth again. And so that is exciting to know that Jesus has done that. And um, I've told you before, I don't talk about Jesus' work um, in a future tense because even Paul talked about what Jesus did. He said that you are now a new creation in Christ. He said, you are now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's a position that we're in. Um, You know, I understand that we are wrapped in flesh. This flesh can fail. This flesh can make mistakes. This flesh can choose to disobey God. But if I'm going to choose one or the other to focus on, one or the other to live by, um, I'm going to choose to focus on who I am on the inside. Because you have to understand, the person I'm talking to right now is your spirit man. And your spirit man is wrapped in flesh that makes you Van or Chuck or Nicky. That's your flesh on the outside. But the real you is the spirit man on the inside. Remember we did a, a message not too long ago called uh, The Real Reality. And we talked about the unseen being more real than the seen. So the real you is on the inside that I cannot see. But that's who I'm talking to. That's who I'm building up today. I'm not building up your flesh um, I had a conversation with someone a few weeks ago and and I said, you know, as pastoring, it it can be a pretty tough job because you're really telling people stuff that they don't want to hear on the flesh side. Your flesh doesn't want to hear anything I'm saying this morning. Your flesh doesn't want to hear anything that's in the word. Your flesh is against that. Your flesh rejects that. Your flesh, born in sin nature because of what Adam and Eve did in the garden, uh, refutes In fact, uh, over in Romans, Paul says that it is enmity. A, A carnal mind is enmity. It is an actual enemy against God. Not only does it disagree, but it actually rejects and is against everything that God is about. So the real person I'm talking to you is your spirit man. If your spirit man is renewed, if your spirit man has been restored, you've made Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life, now your spirit on the inside is all about God. 100%. Knows God's will, wants to do God's will, knows the potential that you contain. Um, We read on Wednesday, talking about the Holy Spirit, where Paul said over in uh, uh, Colossians chapter 3, I believe, where he's talking about the earth groaning. No, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. It says that the earth is groaning and waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. The sons of God are those that are spirit-led. This world is, is, is groaning and waiting. It is, is anxious expectation for the children of God to be born and to be uh, restored back to the earth. Well, the same way the earth is waiting for spirit-led people, your spirit man on the inside is groaning and is uh, in anxious expectation of your flesh to let the spirit out. That's what your spirit man... Your spirit man is frustrated in one sense because it is wrapped in this flesh and contains a soul that can choose against what God wants. And your spirit is all about what God wants. Your spirit wants to walk in love. Your spirit wants to operate in peace. Your spirit wants to have joy instead of depression. Your spirit wants to treat other people right. Your spirit wants to obey the word of God. Your spirit wants to wants you to get rid of addictions and things that are holding you back from getting closer to God. That's what your spirit's all about. And so it's groaning on the inside. It knows it's packed with potential that's being stifled and being extinguished by a flesh realm that decides every now and then to do what it wants to do. And so what we're doing, what, what we're doing every Sunday and every Wednesday is we're trying to get you hooked up with what your spirit man already knows. What I'm going to give you this morning, what what we give you on Sundays and Wednesdays when we're bringing the Word, your spirit man is clued in on that, and I'm trying to get you to renew your mind. Renew your mind to the Word of God. And don't conform to what's around you, but be transformed. Being transformed. That's what we started out this year talking about. A transformation. We talked about change. What is going to bring that change? And I told you last week that we were going to get into this series And we're going to start a series today called 180. Called 180. We obviously know that if you pull a 180, if I'm facing this direction and I go 180 degrees, I'm now facing the exact opposite direction. How have you ever heard by a pastor or by maybe someone that was explaining to you Christianity before that repentance means to make a 180? Has anyone ever heard that before? I know it was big when I was in high school. Uh, You know, if you repent of your sins, that means you're turning a 180 to walk away from your sins. Remember, we said that repentance isn't just uh, alienated to the prayer of salvation. Repentance is an everyday ongoing occurrence. And so I hope this year that we've identified some things in our lives um, that we want to make a 180 turn on. That we see some things that we know are holding us back from who we are to be. It's holding us back from that packed potential within us. And so we've started to identify those things and maybe already started to take steps in that direction. What are some things that we can change? And so I told you there were four areas, four areas that we wanted to talk about uh, this month. And um, the one of them is money, is changing our finances. Uh, we were looking at four big things that people... When they make New Year's resolutions, when they decide, you know, this, what do I want to change from last year? What did I dislike about 2011? What do I want to change in 2012? And a lot of times uh, people make a New Year's resolution to do better with their money. They either want to save more, they want to get out of debt, uh, they want to make more money at their job, uh, they want to give more money to their church, uh, just different things like that. And so that's one area that we want to look at. Another area is our relationship with God. Um, in fact, I was talking with a gentleman just this past week, and he said, every year my New Year's resolution is to get closer to God. And that's good, because you can always get closer to God. Amen? We, we never get to that point to where, well, this is as close as we can get. Now, on the other end, you're as close to God as you'll ever get, because He lives inside of you right now. He's inside. That's why Jesus said, it's better for me that I go. Because if I go, then the Spirit that's upon me can come live inside of you. I can make that deposit inside of you. But we can always become more renewed to that relationship. We can always get a better understanding of who we are in Christ, how God sees us, and how to develop um, and and cultivate that relationship. Another one is our bodies. Our bodies, taking care of our bodies. Our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Our body uh, is... Uh, to be used in this earth. Our flesh, remember we said that the real you is the spirit man on the inside of you. Well, guess what? If your flesh goes, so goes your spirit. What I mean by that is, is if you die, then your spirit has no access in the earth. God put a, a plan in place at the very beginning and he gave man dominion over the earth, which means that a spirit being has no access in the earth. That's why God had to send Jesus Could God have just saved man from heaven and just said, be saved or be redeemed or be restored? Sure. But he had already put a law in place that said man has dominion. So now I must send myself, because I'm the only one that can redeem man, I must send myself into the earth in the form of Jesus, his son. And so even Jesus had to have a flesh suit. So without that flesh suit, you have no access and if your flesh suit isn't operating properly, then uh, we need to get that under uh, our authority of the spirit. Because if you're laying at home sick in bed, then you're not influencing anybody at your work. Uh, if you're crippled, or uh, you know we have a disability that we're working with, or you know what, what kind of testimony, what kind of uh, uh, what kind of witness are we being? Are we showing people an example of this is what my God's kingdom looks like. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. And then also, we have to take care of this body. We have to do things to take care of our bodies. And so we'll talk about some of those natural things. And the last one is our families and our homes. And so I'm going to talk about riding the relationships within our homes, riding our relationships with our spouses and with our children. Um, and, and being an influence in the home. A lot of times they say, I want to spend more time with my family, or I want to be closer with my wife or with my husband, or you know, I want to uh, do better at parenting my children. And so we'll, we'll look at it in a broad aspect. I'm not going to look at each one, but we'll look at the broad aspect of what God has to say. We're going to look at what the kingdom has to say about all this. I'm not, I'm not going to become a motivational speaker for the next few weeks and your life coach and, and try to help you do better with money and We're going to look at what the Word says. Amen? Um, Today, I had a message prepared. Um, I was going to go right into our first topic today. Um, But I think I'm going to stick with an introduction of 180, of what this change requires. And I'm going to hit a few things. Um, I, I just feel, as we were getting started, that I needed to hold off and just lay a foundation Um, I've got all my, in fact, all my notes here are for, uh, today's message. So we're going to just flow with the Holy Spirit, amen? We've been talking about the Holy Spirit and if I can't preach to you about being led by the Spirit and then not follow the Holy Spirit and what He wants to do. So we're going to, um, we're just going to follow what He has and we're going to start with Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, let's go there. Uh, The first thing we have to understand as we get into this series, as we start talking about a life change, talking about making a 180, the first principle we have to understand is we are managers, not owners. This is the first thing you have to understand. If if, If you want to understand the next four weeks about money, if you want to understand how to take care of your relationships, if you want to understand how to have a better relationship with God, uh, if you want to understand how to walk into the things that we're going to look at, and this goes for anything. I'm just hitting on four topics that the Holy Spirit gave me. You may have other resolutions. You may have other things that you're wanting to change or identify or do better at or get rid of this year. And so this principle applies to anything in this earth. We are managers, not owners. If you think you own anything, I want to see you try to take it to heaven when you leave. <laughs> if you think you own your house, and you think you own your cars, you think you own your finances, and your relationships, and your families, and your body, that's another one. Well, it's my body. I can do what I want, right? Well, the first thing we have to lay out is you don't own anything. You are a manager. And here's what God has set in place in the earth. The way you manage something determines if you're given more to manage. Let's look at this in Matthew chapter 25. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's illuminating. thank you for your Holy Spirit. He speaks through me and that I speak only the words that you would have me say in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's start here in verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven... Is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To each according to his own ability. Have we ever asked the question, why do they have more than me? Or why do they have a position that I don't have? Or
1: why do I have
0: more than someone else? It's according to your ability. According to the measure that God has dealt that you that you can handle um, in ministry, I use this a lot of times in leadership, especially when I was working with children's ministry because you get people that want the the acclamation and they want the the high levels of leadership and they want to have areas of influence, but they haven't developed themselves in a beginning stage at their ability that they're at today you have to develop faithfulness you gotta develop trustworthiness you have to develop being able to submit to leadership because i'll tell you right now no matter how high you are in leadership you always have someone above you king saul king of israel was still required to operate and to rule the land and the people of israel according to god's standards And when he came out from under that leadership, when he came out from being submitted to God himself, Samuel came and said, what have you done? You have disobeyed the command of God. You have disobeyed disobeyed the decree God gave you to kill everything. And I hear animals and I see a king is still here. I see you taking slaves. And he said, today, this day, God has removed. The kingdom from you. Why? Because your inability to remain in in submission has given you the inability to remain in authority. This is exactly what happened with Adam. Adam's inability to remain in submission to the king and to rule the earth the way God wanted him to rule the earth, he ended up losing his authority in the earth. He lost his right to to rule the earth and to, to control the earth. And he handed it over to Satan. See, Satan didn't come in the garden and steal this earth. Man gave it away. As much as we as we know that the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But in the garden, Adam gave it up. He handed it over. He said, here you go. I saw a hilarious commercial. I think it was a Vonage commercial just the other day. And it, I guess it was talking about being... Being robbed uh, by by phone companies, and so you got this husband and wife, and they're on the phone with each other, and, and while they're talking to each other, they're talking about the phone bill, they're talking about how high it is, and how you know they're paying for this, they're paying for that, and while they're talking, these robbers are going around them, taking stuff from them. And she's on, she's in the house, and she's handing over you know dishes and and They're coming and taking TVs off the walls and the guy's on the phone, he opens up his jacket and gives them his wallet. As he's on the phone, I mean, this is what Adam did. They weren't robbed of the earth and their control and their dominion. Adam handed it over because he failed to remain in submission to the king himself. Okay? So, this you see here, this master is handing out Talents, handing out to his servants responsibilities. That's what these talents are. Responsibilities. Now notice, he's not giving these responsibilities out. He's not handing these talents to them to own. They are not owning them. They are controlling them. They are governing. Remember that word, dominion. Let us make man in our image. Let them have dominion. That word, dominion, means to have control to manage, to govern. That's what the word dominion means. Okay? And immediately he went on a journey. Verse 16. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them, and look what he did. Made another five talents. And likewise he who had received two gained two more as well. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he's coming back and expecting a return on what he gave. What he's looking for is stewardship. And stewardship is, what did you do with what I put in your possession? See, everything... That we have. We have to first understand that we are not owners of it. We are just in control. They are in our possession. Our businesses, our homes, our vehicles, our finances. We do not possess these things. And we're going to look. Uh, we may go there today and look at someone who thought he did possess them. And we'll find out what Jesus had to say to that man. But when you think you have possessions, the possessions really have you. Because then you become bound by the thing. See, there are some people, and you can get off on both sides of this thing. There are some people that are so, uh, in control of their body, uh, that they are, they are actually stuck to working out and getting fit and they can't ever be fit enough and that is their Lord. That controls them. That dominates their life. See, anything that governs you dictates your life. There are some people that are dictated by their pocketbook, by their checkbook. What does that mean? That means you have to go to your checkbook to get permission. That means I have to go and see, okay, do I have this? When God is telling you See, God is the only one that should be Lord. And He has put the finances in our life to allow us to control and to govern it. But He calls the shots. But then we find either ourselves calling the shots. And I'll tell you our, this church's position on, on money. I have no problem with that. And, and just because I talk about money doesn't mean the church is having money problems. In fact, I'll, I'll tell you this. Since I've been here, this church has done better every month. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I I honestly don't know where it's coming from. I don't. This church has been absolutely blessed since we came on. And it's going to continue to happen that way. One thing that this church does that I instituted as soon as we got here is I tithe to Anchor Faith in St. Augustine. I send a tithe there. We give 10% of what comes in. And every month we've had more than the previous month. It's it's crazy. It's crazy. It's awesome. But that's because I'm not bound by the finances. I'm not stuck to the finances. uh, Kurt, do you mind flipping the air on for me? So we see here that the master is going away. And he is placing with his servants talents, responsibilities that they are to govern and to manage. Two of them One given five and one given two. Notice the one with the two didn't say, how come I didn't get five? Well, forget this. No, he went out and did according to what was given him and he doubled. Now, this is why percentages are so great. Because both of them got back 100%. Regardless of if one ended up with 10 and 4. God is looking at the percentage. He's not looking at the quantity. He's looking at the quality. He's looking at the quality of will you be obedient and will you be a good steward and govern and control and manage what I have given you and put in your possession. See, this is what God did with the earth. God is the master. And he placed with Adam and Eve a responsibility according to their measure. Now, he created them in his image and in his likeness. So they had full capability to operate in the garden and control the entire earth the way God wanted them to. Period. And he was looking for a return. That's why he said, be fruitful and multiply. Rule this thing the way I would rule it. I have placed within you my image. I have placed within you my likeness. I have created you with my same thought process and capacity and capability to rule and operate on this earth the way I would. But I'm putting it in your possession to govern and to control it. And it was what? Mismanaged. Adam and Eve mismanaged it. But see, a lot of us, we come into these things, the things that we're getting ready to talk about, and we think that they are ours. And we get to do with them as we please. Well, this is my money, so I get to buy what I want to buy. I get to do what I want to do. This is my family. Don't talk to me about my family. I mean, they, they say in church the three toughest areas for a pastor to preach is money, uh, parenting, and marriage relationships. Those are the three. Don't tell me how to run my marriage. Don't tell me how to, what to do with my kids. And don't tell me what to do with my, fun, with my money. But the Bible has something to say about all three of those areas. So guess what? i got to preach it. And I've told you from the beginning anything that I don't preach on or anything that I don't tell you about, that's an open door for the enemy to attack you. If I don't preach in this church on finances then I can see people in the church being attacked financially. And up to this point I haven't said anything about money. I have not preached one message about money. I have said short things here and there during tithing and offering but I have not dedicated a message to just preaching about money. And I'm not going to preach a Uh, one of those messages, and we're going to talk about how to turn our finances around when we get to that point. And we're going to look at what the Word says about it. The Bible does not talk about getting more money. It talks about having enough. And the Bible has plenty to say about money for those who don't have money and those that have money. In fact, the Bible says that both ends are dangerous. To believe that God doesn't want to bless me and I don't need money to carry out God's will, that's dangerous. And then we can get over to the other side where you have all the possessions, you have all the things, but they have you and you can't, you don't operate. It's all about operating. It's all about managing. It's about controlling. It's not about how much are we supposed to have. It's about what are we doing with what we have. Okay? So let's go on here. So the masters come back, and in verse 20, says, So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five. Look, I have gained five more besides them. And his Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few. I will make you ruler over many. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Now here we go in verse 24. Then he who had received the one came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed." And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. He called him Lord, which means you are really the controller of this thing. And then at the end he says, look, you have what is yours. So he's identified that it's not his, it's God's. Now sometimes we can get into this position, this is... The position where a lot of people are sometimes because they understand, well, it's God's, you know, and I don't want to touch it, and it's yours. But see, God was looking for him to touch it. God was looking for him to do something with it. What was, if if he gave one man five and he got ten, and one man two and he got four, then what's he looking for, for from the man that gave one? Two. He's not looking for four. He's not looking for ten. He's looking for a hundred percent return. Then he who had received, uh, verse 26, But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant. Wicked and lazy You knew that I reap where I have not sown. And gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to... Look at this. He's just looking for a return. You have uh, at least... You should have put it in the bank. And at my coming, I I would have received it back with interest. He's looking for some kind of addition to what was given. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten. He gives it... <laughs> a lot of people would have a problem with that. You give, yeah, you take it from the poor and give it to the rich. Hey, he's taking from the wicked and giving to the faithful. That's where the, the wealth of the wicked is going to be laid up for the just. The ones that have proven themselves faithful. The ones that have... If you've been wondering why you haven't been getting that wealth that's been laid up for the just, maybe we haven't been faithful with what we have. With what we have. Obedient with what God has already given us. See, God is looking for you to do with something with what you already have. Do something with what you already have. That's what he's looking for. And there is nobody that can say, I have nothing. We'll look at people here in the Bible that literally had nothing. And God still approached them and said, what do you got? God always meets a need with, what do you have? We'll look at a widow woman that was getting ready to make a cake for her son and her and die. That was her expectation for the next 24 to 48 hours. And how dare the prophet come up to her house and say, make me a cake. I mean, we'll look at the Israelites when they came out of Egypt. The Israelites coming out of Egypt, coming out of slavery for 430 years. And as soon as they get into the wilderness, what does God say? Moses, tell the people to take up an offering for me. You're talking to slaves. You're talking to people that just came into this wealth, into this riches. How dare God ask for something? And then you find out a few chapters later that they ended up bringing so much that Moses had to turn them away and say, okay, we've got enough. And he wasn't looking for cheap stuff. He was looking for the good stuff. He was looking for gold. He was looking for spices, for silvers, for jewels. You have something. We all have something. And we just have to be obedient with what God has placed in our possession. Same thing with our families. Same thing with our families. Same thing with our relationship with God. See, you're going to find out everything about this. See, a lot of people come to me with problems or issues that they're having in life. And when I say a lot of people, I'm talking over since I've been in ministry. I've been in ministry now since uh, 2004. Not a long time. But I've been in positions of influence where I've had people come to me with situations that I can help them with, and I don't have a magic button. I'm sorry, I don't have a magic button. And I, you know, sometimes I wonder uh, what what people want me to say because they let me know the situation, and my answer always has corresponding actions for them. You're going to find out real quick in life, and especially in these four areas, that you will you will get out what you put in. That's probably the biggest key that people miss. Because we have this God is in control theology. We have this, well, if God wants me to have it, theology. That's not it. See, God is in control of one thing, His Word. And in Genesis chapter 126, He put something in place for the rest of mankind that gave man the authority to do these things. That's why he told Adam and Eve to cultivate the ground. What's he saying? Put into the ground what you expect to get out of it. So your finances, you're going to have to put something in if you want to get it back. Your marriage relationship, you have to put something in if you want to get it back. Your relationship with God, you have to put something in if you want to get it. He said, said, draw nigh to me and I will draw nigh to you. And so we forget that we have reciprocating actions. We have corresponding actions that must first be put in place to see this stuff happen. I'm going to tell you right now, over the next four weeks or however long we go through this, we're probably going to identify areas, I'm just going to say it, of disobedience. That's all it is. See, look, Adam did not fail in the garden because he ate fruit. Adam failed in the garden because he disobeyed. Because he did what he wanted to do. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to very clearly show you what the Word has to say about our finances. I'm going to show you very clearly what the Word has to say about our relationship with Him. I'm going to show you very clearly what the Word says about our families and how to operate our families and our homes. I'm going to show you very clearly what the Word says about our bodies and how to take care of our bodies and how to take control and authority. And what we're probably going to run into, look, if we never hit disobedience, then we wouldn't need to hit change. The Holy Spirit talks to us about things that need to be tweaked. I went I went to... Uh, Warner Robbins last night, Doug Jones was in town, I don't know if you know who Doug Jones is. He's a uh, Rhema uh, teacher at Rhema Bible Training Center and he travels um, and ministers. And he was at a church up in Warner Robbins, so we went up there and he spoke on the Holy Spirit. He spoke on the the work of the Holy Spirit in us. We a lot of times make a lot of... Noise about the Holy Spirit working through us, the gifts of the Spirit, tongues and interpretation and signs and wonders and miracles. But he said, the first thing that needs to take place is the Holy Spirit working in you, speaking to you. And he went over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 where it says, quench not the Spirit. And he pulled out a match, just a match, did nothing to it and said, quench that. You can't quench it. It has to first be struck and lit. He said, to quench the Spirit means that he's got to be doing something. See, a lot of times in our churches we say, you know, if we play the wrong song or if we clap at the wrong time or if you know, someone starts shouting crazy at the wrong time, we're quenching the Spirit. But first of all, the Holy Spirit's not a sissy. He's not just going to get, we think the Holy Spirit just left, he doesn't want to play in our ballpark anymore. The Holy Spirit is quenched when something's already taking place. Now, we looked at the Holy Spirit and how He works in us as a teacher. He guides us. See, the whole, we, we see the Holy Spirit as the power and the presence and the awe and the feeling. But we forget that He teaches us. He guides us. He speaks to us. We can be led by the Spirit. So how do you quench the Spirit? By just not obeying what He tells you to do. When the Holy Spirit says, this is what you need to do, And you don't do it, you have just quenched the Spirit. When you don't place value on the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life, then you are quenching the Spirit in your life. You have just kept, you have just, he lit the fire and said, this is what I'm telling you to do, here's my instruction, and you just blew it out by not obeying. The Holy Spirit, when he speaks to us, he used an example with his kids. My son is not old enough that I can give this example yet. But, you know, he said, when I was instructing my kids or when I was telling them things to change, I wasn't telling them on things that they were doing right. I was telling them things on either they were doing wrong or needed to do better. Or be... I was doing things like clean your room, take out the trash, pick your things up off the floor. Those are the things that the Holy Spirit speaks to us about. When the Holy Spirit's speaking, it's about things on the inside that we need to tweak or change. So we will, see, we will see areas, if we're talking about 180, we're talking about things that need to be tweaked or changed. And I'm not talking major changes. For some of us, it might be major changes. And for some of us, it might be the, mo- the minor. Do not play one or the other. Take the word that we give and allow it to change and allow it to be tweaked in your life. That's what this is all about. Remember we said we don't want to get to December and realize we're still trying to accomplish things that we said we were going to change throughout the year. We want to make those changes. And it's going to require obedience. Period. There may be some things that we know we're supposed to be doing with our bodies that we're not doing. It's time to get in obedience. Period. There may be some things uh, in our home that we just haven't been operating properly as a husband or a wife or With our children, we're going to have to tweak it and get it changed. Period. I do not have a magic button. This Bible does not have a magic button. The magic button is you change it. I'm going to tell you right now, praying will not fix it. Prayer will not fix it. Prayer is not the answer. Prayer reveals the answer and then requires you to follow the steps. But just... I've been praying about it for so long. I, I hear that a lot. I've just been praying. I've just been praying that I can, you know, uh, you know, quit quit doing this in my life. Prayer won't fix it. You can pray on your knees till Jesus comes. And it is not going to answer your problem. He is revealing to you in prayer, and He's revealing to you in your in His Word, what needs to be ch- or how to change that area. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, there are two responses that can be taken to the word. There's two responses that come every time the word is preached. With Pharaoh, we saw that every time Moses came, what happened to his heart? It got hardened every time. Every time the word came, he just kept hardening and hardening and hardening. But you can allow your heart to become soft and moldable and allow the word to work itself in your life. Those are the two responses. Those are two responses. And we all have things that need to be changed. I mean, there, there's a woman in the, in the Bible that she had plenty. Right after um, Elisha dealt with the widow woman with the oil in the jars, the very next passage, same chapter, he goes to a woman that had plenty. But guess what? Her son died. See we will all will always come to issues in our lives that will require something, no matter what level we're on. We may have a great marriage, but our relationship with God just isn't that great we may we may be uh faithful in church and willing to serve and do all that, but we just we, we may not be do, doing and working with our finances the way God wants us to, and being obedient so I understand what these next few messages are going to bring. It's going to bring weight. It's going to bring responsibility, period. I'm not saying weight as in deep. is real deep thoughts because it's really going to be very simple. I'm going to simplify it. I'm going to make it very simplistic. I mean, I already had the message ready for this morning. We were going to talk about our finances. We were going to talk about money. But I just felt we needed to hold off till next week, and we'll start there. But I needed to lay this foundation of understanding that you don't own anything. You don't own your marriage. It's not my marriage. You can't tell me what to do with it. It's my money. You can't tell me what to do with it. It's my relationship with God. You can't tell me I need to be. And this isn't to bring condemnation at all. Guess who brings condemnation? The devil. The Holy Spirit does not condemn. The Holy Spirit, God is not trying to make you feel bad and trying to hit you on the head and say get it right, get it right or you're out of my kingdom. That's not what he's saying. This is to allow you to be the best you can be for the kingdom of God. How many of, you, how many of you in this room believe that your finances could be better, that we could be more purposeful with our finances for the kingdom of God? And I'm not talking about how much you make. I'm talking about what we do with it. How many of you believe your relationship with God could be closer? If we establish that right relationship with God, then we can do what we're supposed to do on the earth. This is what we're talking about. This is the 180 that we're talking about. Because there is a life that God has for us. And and like I said at the beginning of the year, I, I'm tired of getting to December 31st and looking back and saying, well, I was going to do that, and I was going to do that, and I was going to do that. I, I want to live the fullest life. I want to live, and I'm not saying next year we're not going to have any New Year's resolutions. I met all my New Year's <laughs> There's always something, right? There's always something we can grow in. There's always something we can identify. There's always something that as we become more mature in the Word, we realize, well, I can tweak this and I can change this. And so we're going to give principles on how to change those things. How to allow the Word to govern our life and to dictate our life and not be governed by money, not be governed by uh, uh, our bodies, and not being governed by our families and our relationships. I don't want to be governed by that. I want to... I want to be governed by God and His Word and allow His Word to be worked in my life. That's what I want. Okay? And so that's what we're going to start with next week. That's really all I have. I just wanted to lay that foundation. Um, I just felt that today was not the day to begin. I had the message all planned out. It's all I've looked at all week long. And uh, God wanted to go somewhere different. And that's good. We have a few people out this morning, so it'll be good to be able to start fresh with them and everyone be on board with that. Um, Definitely, I'm going to tell you right now, if you have to miss any of these services, uh, if there's going to be services that you have to be out, you are definitely going to want to get the CD or go online and hear it. You will not want to miss what God has to say in these next four weeks. It's going to set this church on a course. I strongly believe that. I strongly believe that. I've been listening to a lot lately of churches and pastors debating on what is the purpose of the church. Is it to go out and evangelize and get people in the kingdom and, and, and win souls? Or is it to take care of the church? But the more and more I look at it, Ephesians chapter 4 says that the, the, the pastoral role, the teaching role, the, the evangelist, those are for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. That is my priority. That does not mean that I don't care about getting souls in the kingdom because what good is it if we're only just working in here and not paying attention to out there? The equipping of the saints for the work of ministry is to prepare you to go into your communities and in your workplaces and and, and where you shop and where your kids play baseball and basketball and football and be an influence for the kingdom of God. But I have a responsibility to build up this church. To grow up this church. That is what has been handed to me by God. And that's what we're going to do. And we will become more evangelistic. We will do things outside the church. But we're taking this time to develop the body that we have. To strengthen our believers. To strengthen our saints. So when we go out, we are prepared and ready to bring people into the kingdom of God. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, Father, we thank you.